Shall we go? We're rolling players. Bitch, I'm me rolling in my 500 bins. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Let's Get Into It. You know what, guys? We forgot to celebrate our 50th episode. We did. We did, Robert. I want to know something, though. Why are you in the shade and me and Davey Dave are in the sun? Because you guys look like you're on vacation. Dude, (laughs) we should put a picture up of Teddy. You've got the chanclas. With the socks. With the socks. Ankle socks. Ankle socks with the guayabera. With the the Al Pacino hair. That's right. And and your 1989 uh, sunglasses. Ray-Ban. That's right. But let me just let you know, because Lopez is breaking my balls about my outfit, but I matched the socks with the Wayabeta. So I got the white socks, the white Wayabeta. Normally I go black ankle socks with the slides. Always with the slides. You look great. Thank you. You look that's like a, that's a look. That's you could kill somebody. That's what's up. And the stash is more cartoon. Okay. You look like uh, Fidel Castro hanging out at home. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's what's up. That's what's up. Or Jack um, I'll take either one. Hey, so um, great interview with uh, Richard Montoya last week on Zoom. That was good. That was good cool. job, Robert. You know, he's uh, he's an important voice. As I mentioned uh, when I was on with him, you know, there's a lot of writers. You know, he's a playwright. He's written many, many plays. He's been at the Mark Paper Forum. He's performed at uh, Yale University. Wow. Um, you know, every time those guys perform, I'm talking about Herbert um, himself, Rick Salinas, they uh, they get a lot of uh, they get a lot of play. When they did Sapo, which was a show they did over at the Getty, uh, I remember reading in the paper that Tom Hanks was in the audience and that he said I forgot the qu- exact quote. I should probably find it, but wow! Uh, directly after seeing them, he was doing a movie where he played like a chef or something. He ended up he ended up in a in a diner working in a diner. I'm talking about Tom Hanks. Yeah. And he did this movie, and he cast them in the kitchen with him. Yeah, well, you know, that happens a lot here in L.A. Think about A Bronx Tale. You know, uh, Chaz Palminteri, you guys know the story. That was his life story. He was doing a one-man yeah. uh, right. one-man play off, you know, on Santa Monica Boulevard. In Little- That's right. That's right. And then that <laughs> happened. And then Rita Wilson, Tom's Hank's uh, wife, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Same thing. It was a play in a small little theater, you know. Those are like real artists. They go to like these small little shows and look for talent. And they're about the craft. They're about the craft. They're about that life. That's right. What else did Rita Wilson do? She, because she's a producer. They they produce for a company called Playtone. Both of that's uh, Tom Hanks and her her company. She's an actress. She just I think she's releasing a a, a song or an album or something coming oh, up yeah, in the yeah, next yeah. couple of days. Yeah. So she's just an all around performer. Really nice lady, by the way. Have you met her? Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, Greek, but she used to go to the church that uh, we used to go to, um, St. Sophia's. I never met her, though. That's real, by the way, it's really impressive that um, that she did my big fat Greek wedding uh, because that spoke to, like, you know, it, you didn't have to be of that culture to get that movie. Yeah. I think it's a really good study of things that cross culture. I don't know why. I think it, it felt like it was Latino in a way. It felt it kind of you, you you related to it. You're like that grand that uncle. Everyone has that uncle. You yeah. know that that mom, aunt. Everyone, yeah, that aunt. He's vegetarian. Yeah, let's that, give him lamb. That, <laughs> <laughs> that needle hits the record. <laughs> yeah, that beautiful uh, daughter you have that wears glasses. You know, the minute she takes off her glasses and puts down her hair, she's a model. You know. Yeah. That kind of, that everyone has that. Yeah. Everyone has that person in there. The life. crazy, the crazy front yards with all the like the fountains and all that yeah. shit. Uh, but let's uh, cheer to our fiftieth episode. This is actually our fifty second. But let's cheer to our fiftieth since we ran right by it. 
And uh, thank you guys uh, for listening, and thank Salute. you guys for being here. It's awesome. We need a beer sponsor. If, if anybody's out there with a beer brand, we're looking for one. You know what I'm thinking about, too, Roberts, is I just got a text message from a guy that has a CBD. Because I've been taking CBD. That shit, that shit actually works, works dude. Yeah. I'm not even joking. What does that mean? What, is it, what do you mean, what does it mean? What is CBD? CBD, well, Davey Dave. You know more about this. Yeah, than me. it's a derivative of the cannabis, but it does. It's it's basically uh, weed without getting you high. Yeah, but it gives you like a, a calming feeling. It has no THC in it. That's what it but is. But something mm-hmm. to do with the uh, electrons in your body and the electrons and the cannabinoids. Yeah, the cannabinoids. Yeah. Cannabinoid. Yeah, dude. I'm not even joking. I had a growing issue, not a growing, growing. Hi, hey, welcome, <laughs> welcome to. Let's get into it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. With but doc- I started with Doctor Tootie. With Doctor, but no, I I was fucked up for a long like months. You have a growing issue, dude. I fucked up for my. I started using this extra strength CBD that Tiffany's Greek aunt gave me. So, oh, this is the best. Have this. It works. I said, I'm trying anything, dude. No, no shit. It's fucking helping. And uh, she gave me some gummies too. No THC yeah. though. Yeah. But dude, you sleep. Yeah. Like I took some last night. I was hard getting up this morning, yeah. dude. Because you like. It, 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 it's good shit. Put I you feel out. great, too. I'm going to bring you some, Roberts. No, no, I'm good. But we need a CBD. <laughs> I think we need a CBD sponsor because come to find out, CBD can't advertise anywhere. You know That's that, true. Right? You can't even have it. You can't even sell it on a website. No. And it's so they and they have a shitload of money. So how, how do we how do we get a sponsor? We got to find the, somebody who has a CBD brand who wants to <clears throat> let us talk about it. And, and use it. And use, use it. it. Um, and there's a lot of them out there, so it's just a matter. Like I said, I got a text message from somebody who has one. That as the producer of Let's Get Into It, I'm going to reach out to them. Hey, Please. so Are I you? got a text the other day, and a beer. We need a beer company, beer, beer company, and CBD company. Um, well, we have, you know, we could we could uh, we could call uh, your friend Adrian Gonzalez and and get his beer on the show. That's true. Calidad. That's Calidad's easy. A good beer. Dude. At least you could drink it. That's true. That's right. Um. I want to read you guys a text I got the other day. Uh, Mark, Steve here. Vic gave me your number because I wanted to tell you that I enjoy listening to your podcasts. Nice. Although I'm not in your business, the topics you cover are still important to business owners in general, especially for those just starting out. Plus, your behind-the-scenes stories are always interesting. Thanks, and I hope all is well with the family. That's... And, and what business does this guy do? Did he's he a lawyer. Really? <laughs> he's nice. A lawyer, yeah. All right. Uh, he's uh, you know old uh, old friend of my uh, my brother's, and uh, my brother contacted me and said, "Hey, my friend wants to send you a uh, a text." And, That's really and cool. That was it. Yeah, that was really nice. It, it was surprising. I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't think that he listened. But Steve, uh, shout out to Steve Holguin for the nice text. Really nice. Yeah, Robert's, um, Robert's got a shout out on uh, the Social GTV last. That's week. right. Wait, yeah. what's the Social GTV? So there's a there's a, a show, a live show. It's like a Zoom show that's on um, YouTube right now, and uh, okay. uh, Roberts and Ann are um, are <clears throat> are on it. And uh, someone popped in the comments and said, "Hey, Roberts, uh, we love your podcast." And you know, oh, that's what's up. Continue. That's what's up. And they up. asked what was going on, which I'll oh, tell you here. We've been contacted uh, to start at least start. Gear ramping up for our movie for Lifetime, Feliz Navidad. Nice. End of May, right? End of May. Could, it could happen. You know, I'll keep you guys posted. Nice. But, uh, but it sounds like, you know, we're heading towards that as long as, you know, as long as the states allow. Uh, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have a theme to the show. Uh, definitely, uh, like, almost like theme songs, you know? Yeah. And I wanted to know if Extreme Dating had 
Extreme dating. I want to know dating. if extreme. Ex- that was a movie you did. <laughs> it is a Look movie. Look at him plugging his movie on the no, podcast. No, it's not. That was slick. I didn't mean to. That's right. But I wanted to uh, find out if there was virus music, you know, like if, if this if this was a movie yep. and we're talking about coronavirus, uh, I want to see if there, was a, if there was a podcast movie, like what that would sound like. So let's go to Haz. This song is called Hazmat. Hang on. I just punched in, by the way, real time. I just punched in virus into extrememusic.com. Okay. So this is the song that came up. I know something's coming. It feels like it's inhabiting. Like, yeah, right? something's There's inhabiting. Some water dripping right there. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's shit. an alarm. Purge. Fuck. Yeah, something's happening. Let's get the fuck out of here, you yeah, guys. Yeah, this is Grab my beer. Been. Oh, it gets interesting. Yeah, no, no, don't forget your beers. Let's go. <laughs> Everyone, get out. <laughs> right. Forget so, the equipment. Leave it. So that's called hazmat. That's, that was pretty cool. Is there any? Run, Roberts. Run. <laughs> no, no, we're going to something else. <laughs> so they have another one called going viral. That's not. That's not what I'm talking about. Oh, Contagion. Okay, ready? Contagion. Yeah. What's Contagion got? Oh, it's... Ooh. Oh, I hear, like, there's whispers, like, something... It's spooky. It's like a ghost. The ghost of Contagion. Yeah, it's evil. Contagion's yeah. evil. Yeah. It's not like a virus. Virus was a little bit more like, get out! This, this is, is like a thriller, little bit, yeah. dude. This is... This is like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're in a house. We're trapped. Yeah. Futuristic contagions. Okay, so you know. Yeah, that's cool. What if, about what try um what about like a pandemic? Ooh, what would that be? I wonder. What do you think? Hang on, I'm, I'm going real time here. This is no. Uh, I'm not, there's no setup. So Pan- we got one where we're pandemic. fleeing. We got Hang the other on. one where we're stuck in a house. Yeah. So pandemic. Ooh, there's a pandemic song. Here no, we go. Not. Ready? Yeah, yeah. Here really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so pandemic is a little bit more like like it's slow. Yeah. Here it comes, but you're not sure it's coming. It's like a buildup. You're like, does it feel spooky? Is something happening? Yeah. I'm not sure. Nah, nah, go back to what you were doing. Yeah. Right? And then it must sneak up on you. Oh, so yes, it's intensifying. You know what this is taking me back to? Pink Taco, when we'd be up there waiting for like our chips and our our beer. (laughs) It's like, is she going to come by? Did, I'm excuse, not sure. It feels they, like she's gonna come. Yeah, back. I think she just saw. Dave, did you wave her? They know we're there. They, they, we know we're there. Okay, I'm fucking hungry. Where are those chips? All right, so this is pandemic. Um, let me see if there's another one here. Yeah, there, you know what? There's quite a few. Pandemic room. Okay, so if we were, if pandemic Ooh, was, was happening good. in a room, so I think it's happening. Wait, is the pandemic happening in this room? That's that's what it's starting to feel like. That's the name of the song. Pandemic, pandemic in the room. No, pandemic room. Okay, Ooh. so it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're in Boom. trouble. Yeah, there's something going down. Yeah. It's it's all over the walls. It's starting yeah. to drip. It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's everywhere. All right, so we'll do that a little bit more throughout the show. You can fuck with that all day. Yeah. I know, right? But it just the point is is it feels like in extreme music they've got Everyone's thinking about you know. There's a you know, musician. Maybe try put, type in hoax. See what happens. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> yeah, I Cut bet you there's out. a Cut lot of those. Um, but you know, the, the point is, is that you know you've got extrememusic.com there. Go to extrememusic.com and punch in what you're looking for and see if it's there. Yeah. It's that easy. Yeah. Like boom, virus, pandemic, whatever. What you know? I, look, I just punched them in. Yeah. It could have been nothing. But there's composers all over the world putting together music for extrememusic.com. 
and it's there for your use. I've actually told a couple musicians that I know who make their own music. I told them to look into extreme music to put their music up, and then I use the example that you told about the guy who did the Sons of Anarchy song. But yeah, uh, lots of composers from all over the world putting up music music on ExtremeMusic.com. Um, but yeah, you can find just about anything. And they give you personalized service too. They got a rep reaching out. Yeah, hitting you up on emails. And yeah, stuff. what's it's his really name? Con- like Robert or something? Yeah, there's a couple of them. I think yeah. uh, that's one of them. Yeah, Robert. But yeah, 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 it's a good. good I'm gonna service. punch in new day. You know, like a like you know when the pandemic's over. Oh, I like that. When Very the pandemic's over, you want you want to feel like there's something great coming. It's like the sun's coming up. Yeah. On a like very uh, after awakening. A, yeah, after a very in a, a little uh, time lapse. Yeah. Everybody's coming out. They're all fat. Yeah. Tasty. Yeah. They're ready Stunk to walk. Party. Ready to go. No, they're all. <laughs> they've been partying. <laughs> I called Davy Dave on Saturday night. I got a missed call. Davy Dave was party. Don't even remember me calling him. This was in your pandemic yeah. bunker. You were all drunk. In the bunker. Um, all right, so that was New Day. There's also one called Brand New Day. That feels like a New Day, like a skateboard movie. New Day, not not end of pandemic. I was thinking Reality Bites. Remember that movie? Yeah. It's oh, like yeah. Reality Bites. Like oh, there's words. Wow. All right, so this is called. Uh, Brand new day. Yeah. All right. So that's enough of that. But that's uh, that's uh, that's where you could find a lot of a lot of cool music. Pretty much yeah. punch in anything you think that you're feeling, and they can come up with it. You can even punch in an instrument. Like I, I, I when I did the Porsche movie, I punched in cello, and I got a bunch of cello songs. Yeah. Um. So I want to tell a quick story because uh, I think I believe it's pertinent to a lot of filmmakers, a lot of directors, a lot of producers. I was working on a film. I'm not going to name the movie, but I was working on a movie uh, with a director who was terrific, um, great actors. It was one of my, I think, my biggest budget films. I was at Universal when I did it. And I was convinced 100% that my cut, the producer's cut, and my partner's cut, which was Laurie David, we, we produced it together, was the best cut. And that the director was wrong. His mm. cut was not as good as our cut. And it was a f- like to the death. It was like I was, I was losing sleep over it. I was ruining relationships over it. I was positive that they, he was wrong and I was right. But when you hired him, because you're a seasoned producer at this point, right? Yeah. That's right. Um, did you That's hire right. him knowing that he was going to do the cut? Or did you just hire him as like, direct it? I'm going to get the final say. Like, well, how does that work? The way it works is the DGA has rules for that. Yeah. So the director does get his opportunity to cut the movie. And for the most part, I'm a producer that likes to let a director do their job. Right. So I like it when a director has his final cut. But in this particular case, I was positive that his cut was not the best cut for the movie. Mm-hmm. So I went into war zones to insist on my cut in the end i wasn't unreasonable about it i thought you know what i'm right so i'm gonna spend a bunch of money thousands of dollars and test this through a testing company thousand people per screen will screen the director's cut first and then a thousand people will watch our cut so a thousand and a thousand and based on the numbers and how it comes back, 
how many people like his cut, how many people like our cut, uh, we will decide which cut goes to print. Yeah. So they tested, they ran all the analytics, they came back into the room and they said, okay, so your cut was better. I was like, wow, I knew that was going to happen. Knew it. <laughs> Bam, that's right. By how many people? And they were like, by five. <laughs> that's right. hundred? Five. Thousand? No, just five. <laughs> so I was, I was embarrassed and I also realized that I didn't know myself or movies that well, yeah. right? To not know that a director's cut or the cut that was being put out by him and what I thought I had changed, for, to not know that it really wasn't that different uh, was an eye-opening experience for me. And I also, in the, now I'm very careful about how I give notes. I don't attach myself to my notes. I don't, give, I don't get passionate unless I truly believe in something, but then I'm still willing to sacrifice my note for, yeah. uh, for a director's note. Yeah. But, uh, but it was a big lesson that just, you know, think about your notes. Think about if it's going to change the face of an hour and a half if you get that trimmed or if you get that yeah. other shot, like if it's going to change it to the point where, you know, an audience is going to go, you know, there's 500 people are going to say that was so much better because of that cut or because of that note, then, you know, fight for the change. But at the end of the day, I just realized, you know, sometimes it's the notes are not worth it. Yeah. If you really think about it, if you really, really think about what how what you're going to be changing by giving this note in your movie or in your project, um, and just you know, just well, it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, you gotta trust, argue it, be passionate about it, and let the best idea win. And if that is of the director, or if there's an impasse, yeah, and it's really not that different, then yeah. let the director win because that's his job is to give you the creative vision of the movie. Yeah, I'm learning that with Made in Mexico because as a writer an actor and a producer in it and director with Rich, he's, he's pulling shit out that he's taking out scenes that as an actor, I'm like, Whoa, that was such a good scene. But as a producer, I'm like, it's not really needed. You know what I mean? Like I was really good in that. Does it move the story forward? Does it make the story better? Does it make the movie better? Not really. So you got to learn to put on your producer hat and trust in, in somebody who's cutting your movie that he's going to do the best that he can. And he's doing a, He's doing a great job, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's a completely different movie, yeah. which is great. But getting back to that, you know, I did that before with um, with uh, um, The Good Life. Yeah. Uh, I had a buddy who I wanted to do, like, some music for it, and he was an editor. And he cut an episode, and he cut it down to four minutes, and it was fucking good. But the, my ego was like, no, 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 no. I just want you to do the music. Don't worry about the cut. Uh, let it be eight minutes. In the episode, it you know, I watch it now. I was like, damn, they could have been. It suffered. It suffered. It could have been. A, those jokes weren't needed. The acting wasn't. It didn't do anything for to move that episode along. Uh, so ego got in the way. Not well, anymore, though. Well, that's not a, anymore. That's the thing is that I think um, you have to be clear about what you've done, what you're doing, you know, and uh, and whether or not. Whether or not your note is going to make a difference to the master uh, work, yeah, and uh, sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And it, by, by the way, most of the time it doesn't. So, 
again, it's a collaborative business. It's one of the gifts we have in this business is that we're able to sort of throw into a room a product and we can all discuss it. Just because you have the producer credit doesn't mean that you should invoke the right to veto things just because you don't like them and five other people do. If five other people like the idea, like the cut, you got to leave it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not about you. It's about how do you make this better? And if the director did a good job and there's not that much of a difference between him walking in two seconds before or two seconds after, then don't do, don't do the cut. Yeah. You know, it's just it, at the end of the day, you have to be very careful. It's all a chess match. How? So it was kind of your ego that got in the yeah, way, Yeah, it was a big ego. Eventually, it Thousands was all of ego. Yeah, eventually it was all ego. I'm yeah. right, you're wrong. Yeah. It didn't make much of a difference, and the movie was fine the way it was. But doesn't that just come from experience like this? I think so. I mean, I think... You, can't, that, you couldn't have done that before. I think collaboration is something that you probably learn at a young age. You know, I'm pretty sure I did not learn it at a young age. So I think as I became a producer, I started to realize um, that imposing a producer's will on a project's probably not the best idea. Finding a balance and leaving your ego at the door when you're making cuts, when you're making suggestions, when you're developing a script. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's battles to fight and then there's you know, battles you don't want to die at yeah. on a project. So I just punched in lesson. Yeah. And here's what came up. Here's your theme song. The theme song to this conversation. Oh, wow. It's a discovery. <laughs> That's right. The name of this song is Vex Marks the Spot. <laughs> this is when you were looking at your bank statement because you so spent listen. so much money. You're like, wait, what did I do? No, no. Right now I'm really pensive. I'm outside. I'm upset. I'm thinking about which cut's better. And I don't know which one's better, but I'm fairly certain it's mine. Yeah. So then I decide... I'm going to go back inside and I'm not, I'm, I'm going to let the director have his cut. Yeah. It sounds like I'm going to go reflect on all the calls I made on Saturday while I was <laughs> indisposed. Yeah. Vex marks the spots, my theme that was song. good. I saw that. You know, I actually visually saw you outside of the theater, was, like pissed off. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, then I you, and then I calmed then down. Calmed the down. song calmed me down. Yeah. And I put out my cigarette. Yeah. And I went inside and I said, you know what? You extended really your hand yeah. to this director. Let's, let's go with your cut. And he looked up at you like up with like surprise. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And then he shook his hand. And then the handshake went to a hug. Yeah. And the music pumped up. And, and then, then him. and then the box office three hundred million at the box Ooh, office. Boom. I love it. That's Vex right. marks the spot. That's my theme song. Um, <laughs> you know, in the in the Rona virus, in the Rona, Rona pandemic, buddy of mine, Mike Hermosa, he's been hitting me up to. Um, to do something, he's like, "Let's do something." Wants to shoot. Wants to shoot. He's got <laughs> homeboy. Instead of buying a house, he bought a camera. I got to respect that. That's what's wow, up. Wow, is that true? He bought a camera. He bought what kind of camera? Alexa, Alexa oh, Mini wow. with with lenses and the whole bit. Wow. He wow. rents it out. He's a smart dude, but he's got uh, editing system. He's like a filmmaker. That's yeah. what he. So he's been asking me, "Is there anything you got?" And I'm thinking of ideas and this and that. Long story short, he texts me on Saturday night because he let me borrow some prop guns. And he said, you got those prop guns? I said, I do. And he said, where do you live? I said, Westlake. <laughs> he said, oh, fuck. He goes, never mind. So he ended up getting Andy Dick and another guy, and they went into downtown L.A. on Monday, and they shot a Tiger King spoof. Um, and it's got mad love in tabloids and, like, uh, he's getting hit up left and right about work. So yeah. this guy, yeah, 
filmmaker, yep. instead That's of right. taking his money and buying a house, yep. he bought an Alexa camera, by the way, which is the number one film camera Hundred and in the world, fifty thousand dollars or yeah, something. It's the number the one camera. Yeah, yeah that's the standard. Uh, they did uh, the Revenant was shot on that. That's right. Uh, everything is shot. I dude, I shot three of my movies on that. So I know that it's a great camera. So that's a huge sacrifice. But he's shooting his own stuff because he doesn't have to pay for the camera. And then to pay for the camera, he rents out the camera. Yeah, he rents wow. it out when he's not using it. And Lenses he, too. And wow. he recently and did this Andy Dick spoof, which I sort of know about. But can we get him on? Can we get him on the show right now and, and talk to him through Zoom and, and maybe yeah see how he did it and what yeah, he did? Yeah. And I think it's really inspirational. Pretty interesting. Yeah. All right, let's do that. Boom. All right, so I want to get to our special guest, uh, Mike Hermosa, who's uh, joining us via Zoom. Uh, Mike is uh, director, producer, editor. Right? Do you write, Mike? I do write. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to the show. I mean, you you kind of do it all. This is going to be kind of a fun conversation for people because a lot of the people who listen uh, to the show are entrepreneurs, which you know we end up being as as uh, as filmmakers, right? You got to be entrepreneurial. And then there's a lot of writers, producers directors out there that are just trying to figure out how to break in. How did you get your start? If you look back uh, yeah. through your life, like what moment made you think, hey, you know what? I want to tell stories. Um, you know, it was probably during my first deployment. I was in the United States Air Force and I was stationed out in uh, Qatar and the USO, they were doing a tour and Rob Schneider, Wayne Newton, and, and these actors all came to do a little show. And I remember Rob Schneider talking about Deuce Bigelow at the time and telling us scenes and stories. And, and then I was looking around and, you know, I just joined the military. My, my dad was a homicide detective, retired, and it was just kind of like the next thing to do after high school. And then um, when I, I met these actors, I was like, man, that's really cool. I, I want to be doing that. I don't want to be walking around being a, a bullet catcher out here in the, <laughs> in the sandbox. <laughs> Yeah. Did you have any connection uh, to show business? Did you have any any of your family members, any friends that were uh, working in the business? No, none. Isn't that crazy? I think it's like either one or the other. Either you're deep in and like mm -hmm. your entire family did it for the, for all of their lives or you have zero connection and you just have like this massive desire to be part of it. It's yeah. And, you know, I had a camera and I was filming over there a lot out in Tent City and and. Uh, you know, it was filming with the old VHS tapes where you would film. And then if you didn't like a take, you would just rewind and film over it and try to tell <laughs> the story. And, and, you know, people now, there's so much access now to filmmaking equipment and editing software. And, and so I would just um, write stories and write ideas. And the first script I wrote was, you know, a $50 million period piece set in the 50s. <laughs> that was not the right first script to write. And then it was like, a police detective thriller and then also i'm not a cop so why what was i doing even trying to tell a cop story you know and right. it, you know so you're sitting there you're writing what's the first thing you said i'm gonna go get the actors i'm gonna shoot this thing well so um, i had connections with this actor he he's a pretty well-known actor um in a bunch of movies and he read a short i wrote and he really liked it and he wanted to direct it and um you know i was really excited like to have, he was going to bring in, you know, like these actors are well known and, and I was stoked. And then he went off to a production. I didn't hear from him for like six months. And the producer's like, Mike, why don't you just direct it? You know, you can't, you haven't heard from him. And, 
I said, all right. So I ended up directing it and I was really excited about it. And then I heard from him like eight months later and he said, Hey, are you ready to go shoot this? Uh, and I was like, no. I was like, you know, I actually, you know, we, we got together and we filmed it here. Uh, this is what it looks like. And he was really upset with me and he, he pretty much sent me an email that said, um, you know, you'll never have, there's gatekeepers in Hollywood and you're never going to have a career and I'll do everything I can. And I was a nobody. And this guy, I mean, if I told you his name, he's in a bunch of stuff and you know, it, it really at the time like affected me, you know, and, wow. and I, you know, I saw that email today that I look at and I use it for motivation actually. Oh. Um, but yeah, it was, it wasn't a, the best way to get in to the Hollywood system, you know, and right there I kind of saw firsthand, you know, what it was like. Did you learn anything from that situation? Like, would you have done anything different? Probably not because it created, (laughs) you you know, like I think a lot of people are really scared to fail, you know, because when you you do something, a a piece of art, you're really making yourself vulnerable, you know, and it it was from there that the reason it didn't land is because it wasn't honest. It was a a police story that I really, really didn't know much about. So, um, you know, didn't, really deserve anything but it was more so the process of getting people together and uh and just filming and at the end of the day we do this because we are just naturally creative and we want to create you know there's nothing I love more than being on set and after a long day of set coming home and showering it's like the best feeling and any filmmaker knows that you know when you crush a day and whether it was good or bad like you feel accomplished and and it's just something that you know inside of me I just I have to do yeah, I mean, look, I love the story that you just told. I think it's one of the most unique uh, and honest stories that we've had on the show because, you know, you're sitting there, you're, uh, you're, um, you know, we're entrepreneurs at the beginning, right? Because we haven't done anything, we haven't shot anything. So you're just thinking, how do I get this? How do I get money? How do I put the cameras together? So the idea that you met an actor, which by the way, we all do, that's what sort of gets us going. You meet an actor, that actor says, I want to do something with you. You guys connect on some certain level. And then, uh, and then for it to go the way it went for you, well, there's two things. Uh, first of all, who cares about that guy? What was yeah. cool about what happened is that you ended up directing because you just couldn't wait. But you know what? One thing that I, I totally uh, preach about is don't wait for anybody. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not always uh, a perfect thing, uh, Art. You know, you have to do it when you feel it and you have to do it when there's an opening. And sometimes investors will like they did with you stepped up and say, Hey, let's do it on our own. Let's stop waiting for this guy. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that we told that story because I think if people are listening, you know, you're talking about what, you know, a lot of us start off in the business as you start off and you're like, Hey, I'm going to do a $50,000 movie or a hundred thousand dollar movie or $200,000 movie. I'm making it look like a, you know, $5 million. And, uh-huh. um, and, uh, and, you know, and I'm going to make a bunch of money on that, or I'm going to let that lead me into what's next. And that does work for a lot of filmmakers. It really, really does, especially if you do it all. Yeah. And honestly, my first movie, it, it was great because right away, that's when I learned that when you're showcasing your, your movie in front of your family, friends, peers, I mean, that's the worst part of filmmaking. The best part is <laughs> the worst part is showing the world, you know, and, and that was the worst experience ever. Right. And, <laughs> and so when I approach movies now, I always think like, okay, 
what are my friends, family, peer, this is going to be seen by, and this movie is going to live longer than I'm going to live, you know? Right. So that informed a lot of my decisions and I've turned down 400,000 bucks to do movies because it didn't feel right. I was like, I just don't, I don't want to sit in a the theater and watch this movie. <laughs> you know, even though you're offering me money and a lot of people would jump on that. And a lot of these Hollywood producers were, you know, pushing me to be like, yo, who cares? It's not your money, but I just, I couldn't do it. And at the end of the day, it's just my frame of mind would be what movie do I want to watch? And that was, that's when I approach a movie or story right away, it's like, if I want to watch a movie about, you know, a, a mariachi guy, you know, like just trying to figure out what movie I want to watch and what does a character want and what's in their way and try to keep it very simple. And we sometimes as filmmakers, there's a lot running in our head. And I think if you create that very basic system, you know, cause at the end of the day, if you, if you make a movie that you want to watch and it's honest, nobody can tell you it's wrong. Right. You know, like they can tell you, Oh, maybe that character wouldn't have done that. But if it's a story that you truly, you know, it, yeah. if Rodney writes an amazing story about being a father with his three kids, he, only he can tell that story. Right. Because that's what he, he lit, you know? And yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, you were talking about Tarantino earlier. You know, we talk about Robert Rodriguez a little bit often on the show. Uh, truth is, is that when you know yourself, when you know what you like, uh, when you know the type of movie you'll make, it does become a signature for your life, for your career, you know. So it is important that filmmakers do things that speak to them because then it becomes much easier to tell that story to an audience. And then an the audience enjoys it a lot more because it's honest. So I agree with you. Because filmmaking was mastered, you know, 100 years ago. Like you have to go study Godard, French New Wave, Tarkovsky, Kurosawa, because you watch Tarantino you see all these influences of Kurosawa. I mean, Wes Anderson is straight Kurosawa, you know? And, yeah, he'll, he'll and, tell you that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you really have to dive down that rabbit hole of studying old film and seeing the way the camera moves and learning the cinematic language. And, you know, French New Wave was created because these filmmakers couldn't get into major studios. So they just said, hey, we're going to go film a movie on the streets. And it's very handheld. And they use these primary colors, you know, red, yellow, and blue, and it's poppy and, it was like this whole beautiful movement, which I think that's where we're getting now. If you look at like Dog Me 95, which was a French or a Danish movement back in 1995, where it was to go against the major studios, right? They created rule. Right. So it's like, hey, you can't use audio, have an audio guy, all audios filmed in camera. Um, you could only use props that you find at the location. And it was this big movement to go against these explosions and big studio set pieces. And I, I think we're going back to that, which. I think it's amazing. And you really have to, I think just, if you really want to be a filmmaker, you have to study old film directors because that right there, I mean, there's no secret to it. You can go watch, you know, a Scorsese movie on mute the first 10 minutes and see how he moves the camera and uses light and shadow to tell a story where you can watch a movie with no audio and and know the emotion, you know, and, I was on a plane and there was this movie I really liked, Lion, about that that kid who um, ended up on the train and couldn't find his family in India. Terrific movie, yeah. It's a great movie. I think it was. And um, I was on a plane and it was on the headrest next to me. Some lady was watching it and I just started watching it with no audio, and I knew what was going on and and just stuff like that. I mean, you, you dude, just- I have watched more movies from my seat on an airplane. And from someone else's row, two two rows down, 
I have mm-hmm. seen, so I, I forget to put on my headset sometimes <laughs> because I'll get caught up in someone else's movie on, in their seat, with exactly what you're saying. And I've yeah, seen entire uh, movies that way. Yeah, and, and new filmmakers, right? You start like, all right, we need this shot. We're going to do single, single, master, and just get the angles. But like, you got to use a camera to tell a story. You know, use those little push moments or, you know, find find what the emotional arc is. You know, if it's the person's feeling you know, if they're having a conversation and then something flips in them, maybe the camera goes from one angle and it hits the other angle. So you see this kind of reverse mindset, you know, and you really have to, to fail a lot to see, because right away, it's like, how come this isn't hitting? Like when you watch a, you know, Aaron Sorkin movie or, or David Fincher, like how come my doesn't feel that way? You know, it's because you're not using the camera right or getting low and getting high and changing perspective. To your point, it takes a lot of energy to be beyond just camera angles and camera shots. You've got to figure out what dance you're going to cover. And then you got to figure out how to make that work. What's that one movie with Morgan Freeman uh, in jail? The one of the best movies ever. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. So like you look at Shawshank and uh, you know, even composition and photography, I'll spend a lot of time. I, I live kind of here in West Hollywood. So I'll walk to the Grove and go to Barnes and Noble and just study photography books because if you can make, you know, one frame, because photography is one frame, video is 24. So, you know, you want to be able to do a movie where you can pause at any time and be like, wow, I can put that, that still yeah, it's a picture. Yeah. A picture. So, I mean, even like Shawshank at the very end of the movie, when he gets out of jail, right. And he's out in the world, he's sitting on the bus and people behind him, they're all looking in opposite directions. So you kind of feel this sense of like, he's this ghost, even though he's out in society, you know, he's a ghost. And, you know, just that shot of having all the extras in the bus not look in his direction, look off. You know, yeah. you feel that loneliness. You know, yeah. and 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 to me, I I love that. Like that's the level of filmmaking that that I want to get on, where it's you have that time to set up yeah. every second and control every second of footage. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that was shot by Roger Deakins. That was the. Um... You know, he's been nominated for Academy Award like 18 times and he did not win for Shawshank. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. But look, I want to get into you bought equipment mm-hmm. that you can not only use yourself for movies, but that you could rent out to other filmmakers and or collaborate with other filmmakers because that's your currency. Is that true? Yeah. Did that is that what you did? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I just had to be honest and be like, okay, where am I at? And how do I need to get to a next level? And buying a house to me was not, would not do anything for me. You know, it just give me a little more room and make me not have to have a roommate, <laughs> you know? What did you invest in? You know, I just started buying, um, you know, camera equipment. I lost my job like seven years ago. My buddy let me live on his couch. So I ended up, um, and then another buddy gave me a loan for, you know, um, you know, a small camera. And then I just started to do a lot of filmmaking work. And, and, uh, you know, I hate admitting this, but I, I shot a lot of weddings, but by <laughs> doing that, it allowed me to fail a lot. And I, I got to practice actually. So I was yeah. getting paid to film and then I was practicing a lot. I mean, I was shooting all the time and then, um, I just kept getting bigger and bigger investments. And, and I ended up buying the Alexa mini, which Roger Deakins used to film 1917. And it's just, beautiful full frame camera and full frame lenses. And, and to me, I, I, it was just a matter about building a community. And I saw a lot of struggling filmmakers and, and, uh, 
if if I can create some kind of village and let them use my camera and I honestly don't even care about getting paid for it, you know, cause if they're my friends, you know, they're my friends and it, it just allowed me to kind of get out there and shoot. And, and, uh, I just realized that that was a better move for me and I can shoot my own movies. I could let my buddies borrow it. I can rent it out to bigger productions and get paid. It was just, it was a no brainer versus buying a house in LA. Like, so the fact that you have that you're an editor, you're a producer, and now you own your own equipment, which by the way, it's a, it's one of the most amazing cameras ever created. Lenses uh, obviously help that. Uh, but you had this downtime, which we all have, and I know that as filmmakers, we all uh, are being careful out there if you're shooting. Luckily, you know you can grab an Alexa, it shoots low light. You don't need a lot of people to to do that. But I did read an article about a film that you're working on that you uh, shot with Andy Dick that you just mentioned? It's more of like a series. Uh, oh, you guys have, are doing a series? We have a lot of footage and, and we're, we, <laughs> there's a few ways to go about it, but um, yeah, right now we're just focusing on on getting what we need. And not That's exciting really, because you, yeah. guys are getting, you guys are getting written about. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in a time when people need product, they need a lot of content, it's not a lot available. You got someone like Andy yeah. Dick, who is a genius and, and a comedic uh, legend uh, that you're working mm-hmm. with. So that's kind of cool. And, um, and shoot, man, I'm going to wish you a lot of luck. I can't wait to see it. When did, when's that going to be available on? Um, it's pretty soon. We've, uh, the reception of it has been amazing. I've been getting hit up nonstop. Andy's been getting hit up nonstop. I mean, this is something he's been taking very seriously. I mean, this is his career role i mean he is joe exotic this is he really is like nobody nobody can play joe exotic better than andy dick and uh i we were on set and just letting him riff you can literally see the camera shaking at some points because he had (laughs) he had a dying and um i mean i'm so i'm so happy where andy um is at now and and how focused he is because i have learned a lot from from andy you know everything from you know, what makes the best mockumentary? It's not, you know, it's focusing on a serious topic. That's what makes it funny, not focusing on a funny topic. That's not a funny mockumentary. You know, just little things. Um, I mean, even working in the editing bay, he he can watch a scene and then be like, hey, do this, this, and this. And it totally changes. I mean, seconds, you know, just shaving off seconds or adding. I mean, he's worked with editors who've won Emmys. You know, he's yeah. he really is a genius. So I'm I'm happy that he... Um, is really focused on this project because there's nothing more that I would like to see than, than, you know, us just being on set filming this because the filming of it has been so fun. Um, you know, I feel bad because like I, 2020 for me has been an exciting year. I don't know if we want to show this, but like, I, I feel like it's just really forced me to stay at home and, and just stay focused and not get caught up in any, you know, rat race out there and just really, be true to to the project so it has been a good time to reflect it's been a a good time to kind of gut check figure out what it is that you do want to do what stories you do want to tell and get prepared for Mm -hmm. when it opens up i mean you are uh, a great inspiration uh for for people that are thinking what should they do you know you went out you're shooting something that's going to be pretty interesting not only is it interesting but people are hearing about it and uh and writing about it and calling you about it and it could create uh, a lot of uh, movement for you. So congratulations on that. Uh, thank you for serving our country when you did. We appreciate that. 
And, thank you. Yeah, and uh, dude, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, telling us uh, about all the stuff that you've been working on, how you got there, how you got your camera, and uh, congratulations on the new project. I'm sure it's going to be super successful. Thank you so much. So that was a very impressive uh, interview. Yeah, Hermosa is a talented motherfucker. Yeah, yeah sure. he's uh, he's on his way to great things. You know, I mean, you got to continue to create product. Once you figure out who you are as a filmmaker, to continue to keep that voice alive yeah. and keep feeding it to the people that want to hear it is the most important thing. Yeah. I think it's really cool that he went out during the Rona, found Andy Dick, yeah. and did this thing because Downtown first of LA all, in like Skid Row area. First of all, Andy Dick's a genius, and he's yeah. immune to everything by he's now. He's kind of you know he's. <laughs> <laughs> and he, Andy's killed the everything clips in and his everything. Body. I mean, the dude kind of—it's—it's it's spot on, dude. I mean, you think about it—he's fucking crazy. It's yeah. so his homeboy. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, well, good good for them for going to do that, and um, he's very inspirational. So I want to—I want to find an inspirational theme. Okay, here we go. So I push, punched in inspiration, and I see soaring Hermosa's theme right here. So he's thinking about the Rona's got Ooh, him down. He's, got he's him in down. his apartment or yeah. wherever he lives. He's yeah. hugging his Alexa camera. <laughs> and uh, one tear... One tear. ...falls down his face. Hits the lens. And then we get to... I'm going to call Andy Dick. <laughs> no, the tear hits the lens and it opens up and he sees Andy Dick in the tear. Boom, and he knows. And then, like, the sun comes up. Yeah. There's no one on the street. Him and Andy Dick are running towards each other yes. in slow-mo. With the Alexa camera. With the Alexa camera. <laughs> like, he's still hugging the Alexa camera because that's 150 grand. Yeah. <laughs> and he kicks him because the Alexa camera's in between them. he trips <laughs> and the camera <laughs> breaks and he had no insurance. No, oh. no, no. Boo, bad ending. That was a great song. Soaring. That was an inspirational theme to Hermosa's story. Yeah. Um, well... You know what? Uh, I'm glad we got together today. I'm glad we get together every week. Yeah. I think it's important to keep talking about what to do. Things are opening up a little bit, uh, so get your stories ready. Get your projects uh, back into gear. At least start getting them in the queue, as yeah. they say, at Netflix. Let's everyone stay uh, stay safe out there, and um, I'll see you guys next time on uh, Let's Get Into It. Next week. Get these Pacificos cold. Yeah.